0: Welcome back
1: to Unscripted. I'm your host, Lindsay Amerine. I was so excited to reconnect this week with my friend and colleague, Dr. Jill Bates. Dr. Bates is the Deputy Executive Director for the National Pharmacogenomics Program that is part of the National Oncology Program Office within the Veterans Affairs, or VA. She has a wealth of knowledge in pharmacogenomics and oncology, and I'm proud to have worked with her for many years. We talk through the VA's new pharmacogenomics program that is being implemented nationwide, including the hiring of 120 pharmacists within pharmacogenomics. You'll also hear what is new in this field, which continues to change and grow rapidly. Please enjoy Pharmacogenomics Nationwide with Dr. Jill Bates. How are you? I'm good, how are you?
0: I'm doing good. I'm doing good. So good to see you. Yeah, it's really great to see you too. So, how are you, Lindsay?
1: I'm doing well. Yeah.
0: Good. Yeah. Good. How was midyear?
1: Midyear was good. I am rejuvenated while also being exhausted. <laughs> yeah. Same time.
0: Because yeah, you probably have jet lag. Little
1: jet lag. Little jet lag. This morning was like, whoo! I am back on East Coast time because it was in the West Coast yeah you, I feel like I just got adjusted to west coast time mm-hmm. and then now I'm switching back so yeah. but at least it's, it's that way I mean I feel bad for people on the west coast when they have to go to like mm-hmm. Orlando and the east coast and
0: yeah because
1: uh, like the first meeting that they show up to is I mean it starts at seven east coast yeah. time and <laughs> like That's early. At, least, at least I gotta sleep in mm-hmm. a little bit so I can't complain too much
0: yeah, I, I always feel bad for them too because I think it's harder to come here.
1: It is. It is. Yeah, I feel bad even
0: when we go there. It's like we have a twenty-seven-hour day, and
1: we you do. Know. <laughs> we do. The flight was incredibly long, but I think Anaheim is my favorite spot to be really? honest for It It is. It it takes a long time to get there,
0: yeah. but
1: you get to be outside it's okay. nice I mean it was 75 degrees oh really Sunny, like gorgeous outside um everything's like in the convention center just well done my hotel was right there they had all these food trucks and it's just convenient and, oh, and I nice. got to be outside like Vegas is convenient but you don't see the sun for five yeah because you're
0: <laughs> inside a building or you're going for the the hallways from one hotel to another.
1: Correct. I see the pool and I see everything, but I don't actually get to enjoy it.
0: Yeah. So, this
1: <laughs> well, was that's my... good.
0: They must have upgraded Anaheim because last time I went, I, I thought it was pretty hectic. I, I was like at a yeah. hotel far away and all of that. That's
1: true. If yeah. I have noticed a difference. If your hotel is close, it's awesome. If your hotel is not close, not so awesome.
0: <laughs> that's so that's what I had. <laughs> I think I forgot to make my reservation or something and I ended up getting one kind of far <laughs> And I was yes. like, oh, man, I got to remember this for next
1: time. <laughs> I've done that in the past. I've been like, oh, there's a difference. There's yeah. a difference of even, you know, hey, I got an hour break. I'm going to run up to the room real fast. If your hotel's yeah. close, you can do that. If your hotel's yeah. far away, you yeah. can't. You're like, I guess I'll just find a spot to sit. Yeah. And I'll have my just...
0: lunch and a bag for the
1: day. <laughs> <laughs> I have my granola bar that I'm going to have. Yeah, now, for next." snacks.
0: Exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Look well, cool. Well, you're,
1: you're doing so many great things, and, and so yeah. I'm excited to talk with you about all things pharmacogenomics and all that. Yeah. I it might be helpful. Maybe if we talk about how did you even get involved in pharmacogenomics to start?
0: Oh yeah, of course. That's that's a long story, as you know. <laughs> as you know, it goes it goes way back, and yeah. I'm also going to date myself when I tell the story. Because um, my first experience with pharmacogenomics was actually in my master's program. So I did a research based master's at um, Northern Illinois University, where we did wet bench research on um, animal cell culture. And I looked at how um, this protein called antizyme influenced cell growth. And could we pharmaceutically, um, you know, upregulate this antizyme protein and then downregulate cancer cell growth? So that's sort of how I got into both pharmacogenomics and oncology. Um, but I knew I wasn't a research type of person, and <laughs> so I, I really, you know, there, were, there were uh, research was great and it was such a great experience for me to have. But it, it just doesn't really match my personality um, and for the long-term, you know, it was a great experience, but for the long-term, it doesn't really match my personality. And at that time, you know, this is where the dating of myself comes in. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It was my master's program was before the human genome project was completed. So that was completed in 2003. And it was also very um, segregated in the pharmacogenomics world with regard to you know you either did wet bench research or you were in the clinic there was really no integration from the research world to the clinical space at that point in time yet so the career trajectories were really really bifurcated and they were very distinct one versus the other research or clinical mm-hmm. and so um, i went to pharmacy school after i completed my master's at university of illinois at chicago and I explored ph- uh, pharmacogenomics there. They had um, an, a great elective with Larissa Cavallari, uh, and uh, that, I loved that. Um, and then I did some research in pharmacogenomics while I was there over a summer. So I had um, that experience. But as I mentioned, the career paths were very distinct by the time I graduated. And so I ended up you know, knowing that I wanted to work with people in the pharmacy world, I ended up completing a residency. So I'm, I matched at Duke, I did my residency at Duke, um, and, and I ended up pursuing a PGY1, PGY2 in oncology. As an oncology resident, I ended up doing a research project in pharmacogenomics. So i kind of had all these little bits of pharmacogenomics throughout my career um, because that career trajectory was so separated at that time. Um, I really stuck to the clinical realm. I ended up really being uh, engaged in blood cancers. And bl- blood cancers, I, I, I loved taking care of, of, of those patients um, with leukemia, lymphoma, myeloma. and um, And that practice is very integrated with pathology. So I ended up you know, getting really engaged with our pathology team at this is when I was working at University of North Carolina, which, you you know, uh, that part of my career. And so um, I ended up getting engaged in the pathology department and just really kind of keeping up with that, integrating it into my teaching. And and really, that was where we first started seeing pharmacogenomics become transitioned over from that wet bench to the clinic, because we started having targeted therapies approved in leukemia. For a long time, you know, since the 1970s, blood cancers always have been doing karyotyping, and they have risk stratification. Then we started moving into, you know, long term treatment planning, according to the karyotype, They added in molecular profile. So, you know, there was a lot of things that we've seen now and what's commonly referred to now as pharmacogenomics that were in this oncology space that I was working working within. And then, um, as you know, University of North Carolina started a precision medicine program. And, you know, looking back at my career trajectory, I just was like, well, this makes a lot of sense to go ahead and do this now after I'd been in clinic. For a long time, and I had that clinical experience to be able to take that with me when I worked in precision medicine.
1: I remember when you moved into that role, or you—you you hadn't yeah. moved into it yet—and you talked to me about. You're like, "Hey, I think I'm going to apply," and I remember <laughs> thinking, "Why didn't I think about that for you?" For
0: like, I yeah, like right? we
1: were just like, "What?" Like, because I don't think it hit either of us right away. No. And, no, we were it, it, and it was like, yeah, I, to, I think about that for you.
0: Yes. It <laughs> took, it took, if I remember it took my husband being like, why aren't you yeah. applying for that
1: apply after for that several dog.
0: months? I think it's what, I think it's just one of those examples where you get into this like train of thought, you know, cause, cause yeah. I had mentioned it was so separated for so long. So you just kind of get in this, get, you get like stuck in a bias and you just, yep. <laughs>
1: Yeah, you you said, you're like, yeah, Sean said I should apply. And I was like, I mean, I'm proud of him, but I'm a little mad at myself that I didn't come up with it.
0: Me too. I was like, you know, he had to be like, you've got your master's, you've got it. And I was like,
1: oh, right. right.
0: yeah, I know. I I think I just got stuck in a thought pattern that was, um, that, that I needed some help to,
1: yeah. To get it there. Different... We we all get in those like tunnels of like this is what I'm doing and I like what I'm doing and this is this is it. And sometimes it yeah. takes even like you know, a family member or someone from the outside that's not in it every day to be like, yeah. Why aren't you doing that?
0: Why aren't you doing yeah?
1: Yeah, why are you still doing what you're doing? And you're like, that's a good uh, question. Yeah. Uh,
0: yeah. Because they can see the big picture and they're a little bit more able to see things objectively. And I guess, yeah. I don't know. So yeah. Hmm. yes. Yeah. And then remember when I moved into that position, you know, since, since majority of my training had been in my master's and in my pharmacy school, and I had, I had said that, that the human genome project didn't even finish. There had been a lot of technology upgrades since, yeah. you know, I was involved in it. <laughs> so that was when I had to go back to University of Florida to get my graduate certificate to kind of update myself on those techno <laughs> on those technologies, yeah. like the next generation sequencing,
1: you yeah. know, because
0: that was invented, um, you know, it was invented earlier on, but it it really got widespread use in the clinic around 2008.
1: So I don't even know that I knew that you went and did that certificate program.
0: Oh, is that right? right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I did. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, get to it up the speed it on good.
1: on all the things. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. So um, then, in um, 2019, I moved over to the VA, and that was where when I started my career at the VA, um, beginning at the Durham VA Medical Center.
1: And they had they were looking to do precision medicine mm-hmm. and pharmacogenomics. Correct.
0: That's right. Yeah, they had a partnership with Sanford Health. And they were looking for a pharmacist to come in and be the program manager for the at the time, it was a pilot program called the pharmacogenomics testing for veterans program, which you know, we love acronyms. um, and And so that stands for phaser. So that was the phaser program. And so, um, that was the position that I entered into. It it's, was based out of Durham, but the pilot program was was throughout the entire United States.
1: And so, you got into that role. Um, obviously, a lot has happened, you know, globally from 2019 to now with the pandemic and that. Yes. And so, how has it grown since you first started?
0: Great questions. You know, it, it's grown substantially to answer your question, but I, I think I kind of want to go and bring bring you through the process because you yeah. mentioned the pandemic and just kind of talking a little bit about the pandemic and what, you know, impact that had on our program what and what's happening now um, post-pandemic. And so, you know, um, 2019, we started as a pilot program. We started in uh, five sites across the country and that was it. We just, you know, we had a, a, what I'll call a straw man implementation plan, and we moved forward with that in partnership with Sanford at these five sites. And we worked with these five sites to kind of get the program set up initially. And then um, we had a planned, what we called a PDSA cycle. And I know you're familiar with that because we've talked about that before. Um, We had a planned PDSA cycle right when the pandemic happened. And so it, it actually was pretty great timing for our program because we were planning to do an evaluation anyway. And so when the p- pandemic occurred, we had, had, had get, collected data from our five initial sites and then we went through this PDSA process and we developed what we called Phaser 2.0. <laughs> from, from the good. results yep. of that quality improvement process. And we, we've actually published on that. So that, that information is available if anybody is interested in that PDSA process and what it entailed. But um, we took away a lot of things from that quality improvement process and made a lot of changes to the program that really set it up for significant success. The first thing that we did was we focused on the model of implementation efforts that we used. And so, as you know, with pharmacogenomics, you know, right now, the focus, you know, nationwide, you know, VA and and outside of VA is really in the beginning phases. So um, there's a lot of focus on implementation and getting that process Getting that process right so that it's um high quality use, so that it impro- it actually improves safety, improves medication use. And um and so we we went through this this um this process of evaluation and looked at the implementation science and how we were actually pushing the intervention of pharmacogenomics forward and how um how that was that process was going, you know, looking at optimizing the process as a surrogate for, you know, that would lead to better outcomes um, in, you know, and right. improved increased access to the test. And so what we did was we focused on what we call an implementation facilitation model of, of bringing pharmacogenomics to VA facilities that would like to have this intervention at their facilities and making it available. I think uh, one of the first things that we did that was very important to the success of our program was that we, we kind of looked at pharmacogenomics as um, this is an invitation. You know, this is an invitation for you to add this tool to your toolbox. And I, I think that was very critically important because everybody is in different stages of change. And, you know, you don't want to come in when somebody is, you know, in a stage of change that's not compatible with what you, you know, your program is trying to do. You want to meet people where they're at, because it's better for them, and it's better for you, and then move them along. And so, you know, if they're not ready for pharmacogenomics, that's okay. You know, we want... We want you to focus on taking care of veterans and providing veterans the best care and if that doesn't include pharmacogenomics right now then that's okay because we all have the same mission of taking care of veterans and making sure they have the best care and so we we approached it as an invitation and i think that was very critical to our success and then um, also the shift towards this implementation facilitation model and so what that meant was that we set up a structure where, um, it, from a national perspective, so I'm, I was based out of Durham as the national program office that led this program. And we served as um, what, what I'll call an external facilitator. And then at the sites that were implementing pharmacogenomics, we had internal facilitators. So we had a, what we called a core team. And so this core team was made up of champions that were at the facility that was implementing pharmacogenomics. We had um, a physician or clinician champion, you know, it it was um, most of the time physicians, but it didn't have to be, you know, it could, it could be pharmacists, it could be nurse practitioners, it could be physician assistants, it could be really any, any provider of care services could serve as a site champion in our phaser 2.0 we included a pharmacy site champion now that that was not in the first iteration of phaser but it became very evident from our pdsa evaluation that a pharmacist was very necessary providers look to pharmacists for help when it comes to pharmacogenomics um, it's in our name as pharmacists, you know, pharmacogenomics pharmacist, you know, so um, it's, a, and it's a natural fit because we're trained in pharmacology and medications and pharmacogenomics really focuses on pharmacology and obviously medications. Um, and so we have this core team that's got a site champion. It's a pharmacy site champion as well. These were volunteers you know, they they have um, a job at their facility taking care of veterans. And and so we didn't want to pull them away from that. And so our program provided what we called a site coordinator at each of these centers of excellence. And this site coordinator became part of this core team. They served as a project manager, I'll say, in like a project manager type role. So they helped with the implementation, connecting with, Um, you know, pharmacogenomics is a real interprofessional sport. It's one of the most interprofessional things I've done in my entire pharmacy career, because, you know, not not only are you working with all different types of professionals, you know, you're working with physicians, you're working with um, advanced practice providers, but you're working with um, different disciplines that don't normally work together. So you're working with informaticists, you're working with pathologists, you're working with laboratorians, you're, you're working with clinical um, informatics staff, you're working with all different types of, you're working with scientists, lab scientists, so all yeah. different types of people in addition to uh, types of um, professionals, in addition to different healthcare providers. So it's very interprofessional. So this site coordinator helped to connect all those pieces together. So they were very important um, in in the uh, implementation facilitation efforts. And so our national team provided what we called a blueprint that contained all the different elements of the implementation application. You know, we um, have clinical decision support that we provide. We provide electronic ordering we provide interfacility consult if anybody has questions on a case and needs clinical support, we, ha- we offer that. So things like that that needed to be installed as part of the infrastructure to support pharmacogenomics at the point of care all in the effort to make it as easy for the provider as possible and as accessible to the veteran and the provider if they want this as part of their care as possible. So um, in in Phaser 2.0, we offered all of those things that weren't available in Phaser 1.0. There were several other things we did based on um, survey data, but I think those were... Oh, one other really big change with Phaser 2.0 was we... Um, developed a steering committee and the steering committee, we really thought of as like a force multiplier because it's made up of these pharmacogenomics enthusiasts that we call them. You know, these are people yeah. that are like really interested in want to be at the table. And we encouraged all of these different groups that were involved to be on the steering committee as a means of communicating and diffusing out to those different areas. So, you know, we encouraged laboratory, the laboratory services staff to be on the steering committee. We encouraged the informatics staff to be on the steering committee. We encouraged, you know, uh, public affairs to be on the steering committee um, to answer questions, to help with things that, um, that were being talked about. So we encouraged all of these different groups to be a part of the process. And I think that was really um, helpful to our success. So now uh, pharmacogenomics is now implemented. It's no longer a pilot program. So I'll say that. So, okay. So you thank you. Big. Yeah, yeah. So in 2022, based on the success of the pilot program, the National Pharmacogenomics Program was established at the VA. And at that point, everything shifted to a VA, a VA driven program. So it's no longer now a pilot program. We still do have um, a partnership with Stanford. Um, so we we do have an external reference laboratory, which includes Stanford Imaginetics Lab panel, you know along with other mm-hmm. vendors so so we do still have external reference laboratory, but we have plans to um you know we're looking at at ways to to bring to bring that into the v a yeah That's so awesome. yeah, so now we're over we're live in over a hundred sites, and so it's it's really booming,
1: oh, it is. And I and I think you mentioned the article as well, and I'm happy to include that in the show notes um, so people can kind of just go over there and, yeah. and take a look at it as well. You know, you kind of set up all the structure and the infrastructure. So just curious as, you know, a, a patient comes in, a veteran comes in, they say to their provider and or they're going to be prescribed on a medication, maybe they should get this. Just then like the reading and the the all of the interpretation analysis, does that happen locally at the site or is yeah. that more of a centralized approach?
0: Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Yeah, so so just to kind of break it down, um, I think I think you bring up a really good point because when you talk about pharmacogenomics, there there are these two components. There's the test and the lab interpretation and having the report, which that is, you're right, that is all I've described so far. But it's certainly not the most important part because there's the interpretive services, which, you know, okay, how does that work? And so, you know, at the VA, what we envision is for pharmacogenomics to be a generalized model. So we are working to integrate it into existing care model structures and so we have a very robust arm of educational outreach that we're, um, we're providing to our all of our providers, our pharmacists, our physicians, our physician assistants, our nurse practitioners. We encourage our providers to order the test and to interpret the test for the veteran, and we provide them the education and support they need to make that happen. Um, But that being said, you know, there, there are varying levels of expertise uh, across any health system, you know, because of, because of differences in training and, and um, just the natural progression of science. And so you have to account for this. You're going to have some providers that, that are, have very high self-efficacy and you're going to have some providers that have lower self-efficacy and that's okay. As I mentioned, we We work to meet people where they're at. And so we have um, a a pharmacist train the trainer program as part of the national pharmacogenomics program. We are hiring 120 pharmacists in pharmacogenomics to be stationed across the country. Yeah, it's really great. Yeah. So we're in the process of that now. I think um, right now we've got upwards of over half of those pharmacists hired and on station. And so um, we are in the process of providing those pharmacists training. So they've got training in pharmacogenomics itself. They've got training in how to implement pharmacogenomics. And then there's training in providing educational outreach. So we've got these three arms of training for our pharmacogenomics pharmacists. And then these pharmacogenomics pharmacists are stationed across the country to support providers at the point of care. So whether that be with educational outreach, which they're offering through pharmacists train the trainer program, but then also through what's called academic detailing services, where they're meeting with providers one on one. And this is really phenomenal in the pharmacogenomics space, because this is where our pharmacogenomics pharmacists can really meet providers where they're at, because they're working with them one-on-one. You know, this is a shorter encounter. Um, It can be, you know, 15 minutes. It can be longer. It really depends on that provider and that academic detailer. And they focus and tailor the education toward that provider. And so we have all of our pharmacists that are being trained to be able to do that. And so I think that that's really going to be great for um, the providers that that get to receive academic detailing services and helpful for them to build up their skills. Um, These pharmacists will also have a clinical practice. So, um, you know, if if at the point of care, anyone needs to phone a friend, you know, uh, they have a case that they want somebody to look at. Um, those pharmacists are available. We have um, a national telepharmacogenomics service to make sure that all of our VA facilities are covered from a clinical standpoint when it comes to supporting the interpretive services that are um, associated with pharmacogenomic testing. So if providers, you know, you know, maybe their particular facility, there's not a pharmacogenomics pharmacist station there for whatever reason we do have this national telepharmacogenomics service that is available to those providers
1: that's great i think you'll definitely be the leader in pharmacogenomics yeah i mean across the country i mean for sure yeah. and just curious on the maybe the backgrounds because you said they have also a clinical practice like what's the background of these individuals that you're hiring yeah um, yeah, that's a, class. that's a
0: great question. So it's varying. So we didn't really specify what type of pharmacist is, is to enter into these roles. So we left that up to the facility that is, um that is hiring the pharmacist, you know, because, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, in, in the VA system, our facilities are so diverse. They're, they are very, very different. We can have facilities that are rural, we can have facilities that are urban, we can have facilities that are small, you know, VA facilities are all over the country to make sure that all veterans have access to the services. And so, you know, because of the diversity that is, that is within our country, we have a diversity within all of our facilities. And so we've kind of always kept that in mind when we're rolling out our service, you know, it doesn't make sense for us to give this one blanket approach for every facility when there are different needs and there are different circumstances and there are different many many differences in their facilities and so we did leave that piece up to the facility some some facilities you know aren't subspecialized because that's just not what their practice needs you know it depends on where they are and so if we had said hire a subspecialized pharmacist you know in x Discipline that wouldn't have worked for all facilities. So so at VA primary care is called PACT, which stands for Patient Aligned, patient aligned Care Team. And so mm-hmm. they can be a primary care pharmacist, they can be a mental health pharmacist, they can be a cardiology pharmacist, they can be an oncology pharmacist. Um, and so we have we have all different examples of pharmacists that are in these positions. Um, and, and within the VA, our pharmacists are mid-level practitioners. And so we do have a scope of practice that pharmacists that qualify can apply to have a scope of practice and maintain a scope of practice in whatever area they specialize in. And so, you know, what that looks like is you've got a packed pharmacist who's in primary care care. Who is has a scope of practice as a packed pharmacist, they will see patients for primary care and they will integrate the pharmacogenomics tool in with their care for, for their patients. But they will also have um, pharmacogenomics-specific care services to support other providers that need specific support. That will look more like provider-to-provider consult meeting with veterans, providing them education on the testing, either pre or post-test. So there's going to be these different elements of the way that um these pharmacists are offering care. And it's going to be well, different it, depending on where
1: yeah. yeah. I think it totally makes sense. I mean, given that I think pharmacogenomics, I mean, it's not in one specialty area. It's across mm-hmm. the board. And mm-hmm probably ever growing. Um, yeah. that you, you could probably speak to that more than I can. Um, <laughs> but it seems like that makes sense. And then I think if it was, I mean, a pharmacist can learn any specialty, um, and yeah. any drug, so it would make sense to kind of keep it open. Um, but that's great. I mean, I think it's a great yeah. new path forward for yeah. a lot of individuals that probably are interested in some form of pharmacogenomics but mm-hmm. their their health system or where they're practicing doesn't always include that or it's not mm-hmm. a focus so I, I feel like I just keep seeing like interest of pharmacists yeah. and pharmacogenomics being like why isn't this in every health system and yeah. if, if it is if it is why is it only one person and why is yeah. it there more of a focus so I love what you all have done uh, to make it you. across the board and uh, it's a national program.
0: Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. I'm really excited. I, you know, there's some, there's some aspects of pharmacogenomics, like you mentioned, that are just kind of, you know, like, like my, near and dear to my heart is DPYD testing. You know, I think, I think we should always be testing for DPYD, but that's my personal Jill Bates opinion, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. And so, you know, um, DPYD testing is, is you know, an area that you can think of like, okay, why isn't this institution doing it or this institution? But, but for me, it, it makes me really, I'm really, you know, glad and proud of the fact that we can offer that to veterans because what, you know, what DPYD testing does is it's an, a way that you can prevent this very high magnitude toxicity from a great. systemic chemotherapy that can lead up to patient death, you know? And so here we are at the VA offering that for veterans. I think it's great.
1: It is. Well I remember when I can't remember what it was called, but it was a pharmacogenomic test that you had me do. You were like, <laughs> you should do this. Oh, yeah. Um, and it mm-hmm. was like I, I kept being like, yep, I'm meaning to, I just never got around to it. And you were like, all right, it doesn't take you that long. Like <laughs> just sit down and do it. And I was like, oh, okay. And I will tell you what, those results, Even you know, it's not chemotherapy or it's not specific drugs, but it was like, it's enlightening. And I think it it, for me, it was validating yes. a lot of things. And and I'll give my, my personal example of, you know, as a resident, mm-hmm. I would like, you'd work up till a certain point and I go home and I'd work out and then I jump on the class mm-hmm. and then at you know eight or nine o'clock, I put on a pot of coffee. And like, let's roll through another three or four hours. That's fine. And then I would go to bed and I was completely fine. Yeah. And getting that test back. And even today, I'm, I can have lots of caffeine and I feel it like really good for just a small amount of time. Uh And then I'm, and then I don't feel anymore. Uh And I got that test back and it was like, you're a fast metabolizer of caffeine. And I was like, well, that's validating. That makes a lot Uh of sense to me.
0: Yeah, I, I am also a fast metabolizer yeah. of caffeine. So I know what you mean. When I got that back, I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, I got
1: that. <laughs> that makes totally sense. makes sense. Yeah. But the other thing is it, you know, that it's like you're a slow metabolizer. And I'm like, well, no wonder. Like, yeah. that, I I don't I can't take that medication because I just, I, I feel like it stays in me too long.
0: Mm-hmm. And then it
1: comes back and it's like, you're slow in that. And I'm like, mm,
0: <sighs> oh. that's.
1: That's why there's a science behind Uh why it reacts in me, which is very different than the next person.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. Yeah, that was my experience as well. That was one of the things that was really helpful for me when I moved over to precision medicine in the first place was getting my own pharmacogenomics done so that I could experience what it's like, you know, like what does it feel like to swab your cheek and give up your DNA? And yep. you know, the fact the fact of the matter is, is it feels kind of vulnerable. So you yep. know it's it's easier once you've gone through that experience yourself to relate to your patients who have questions about about the DNA. About
1: what and, it yeah, what it looks like and what does yeah. the test involve. And, and I think once you do it yourself, it does, it does help you, I think, to be able to speak to it. Cause I was going around to everybody being like, everybody should get this. Like, <laughs> Oh, I why I not doing it for everybody. Like, it's so helpful. And it's like everyday things that you utilize, you know? Yeah. Like it's not, it wasn't even the specialty drugs, but I was like, everybody should get one of these tests. I think. They're yeah. great.
0: Yeah. I, that was my experience as well when I got the self-genotyping done too. So yeah, that's great. Yeah, yeah, that was a really good experience too. <laughs> it
1: was, and so yeah, I, I, I think what you all are doing is is fantastic. I did want to ask you, you know, just in the landscape of pharmacogenomics, I remember what it was when I got that test done, mm-hmm. but I'm sure that it has grown since then. Um, yeah, are there like newer ones that um, mm-hmm. are also now included?
0: Yeah, so um, I think one of the biggest areas of growth um since that time um which which by the way for for everyone listening that was about five years ago that we're talking about it was about five years okay. ago so
1: um it, on one hand it feels like five years on the other hand it feels like it was yesterday so it, but yeah it, yeah it that's true years. I
0: kind of lost a couple of years of time <laughs> but I'm sure everyone else did too so <laughs> I think the biggest area that 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 you can see the most most growth um, when speaking about our program at the VA is in the National Precision Oncology Program space. So, okay. you know, um, when you talk about pharmacogenomics, there's the, there are these two big buckets of pharmacogenomics. You've got germline, which is what you and I have been talking about this whole time that we've been talking. We've been talking about, you know, the genes that you inherit from your mom and your dad and how they influence how your body processes medications. Um, And in some instances, how your body responds to medications, but then there's this other bucket of pharmacogenomics that, that doesn't use the DNA inherited from your mom and dad, but instead uses the DNA found in a tumor, Hmm. this space. And, and so, um, and across the marketplace, this is mostly called precision oncology, and at the at the VA it's called the National Precision Oncology Program. And the National mm-hmm. Precision Oncology Program is also part of the National Oncology Program. So the National Oncology Program houses the National Pharmacogenomics Program which focuses on the germline that we've been talking about, but it also houses the National Precision Oncology Program. And that and that's where my clinical service is. And so for me, I think that's where I've seen the most Advancements. So the National Precision Oncology Program was started in 2016 as part of the Cancer Moonshot, and it's yeah. grown substantially since that time. Um, it's, it's in every VA, and, and I'm not exactly sure about numbers. I can get back to you with numbers of how many veterans have been tested, but it's thousands. And so, um, what it is, is it's called Comprehensive Genomic Profiling. And what that is, is that you can take tumor DNA and you send it um, to the lab, and they look at anywhere from 300 to 500 genes, depending on the panel that you're working with. And then you can take those genes and look at, see if there are any variants in them. And then you can see if there are targeted therapies that, that can specific, specifically work on that variant to help treat the cancer. And um, and so that area has advanced significantly in terms of you know there there are so many genes we've got next generation sequencing so we have this ability to um, sequence lots of different um, genes simultaneously and not have it take years like the human genome project did you know mm-hmm. um, and. And we have the ability to look at all of these different hotspots. But now we also have the ability to look at RNA and the transcript transcriptome. So now not only can we look at, you know, what the DNA code looks like, but we can look at the RNA to see what's being expressed. You know, is there a fusion? Is there a fusion there that can be targeted and... Um, answering those types of questions. And then we also have some protein chemistry, the proteomics that we're looking at, specifically with respect to biomarkers that um, can be predictive for immunotherapy. So there's a a lot of those options as well. And then the other novel test that, that is also included now is minimum residual disease testing. And this, this testing is great because and, – and novel and, and awesome for veteran care because, you know, not – you know, in the other examples I was, t- I was sharing, it, it was targeted therapy to treat the cancer. With a minimum residual disease, the goal is to see – do you even need toxic chemotherapy in the first place? So you're testing to see um, this, this would be like an example would be after surgery. So, you know, um, colon cancer, you have surgery and then you do minimal residual disease testing to see is it positive or negative. And then, you know, it needs to be a shared decision. You know, this is not, this is a shared decision-making process, but you can use that test um, in cases where someone may be apprehensive about treatment, or maybe they have um, some sort of um, issue that that they that the it would be high risk to give them the the treatment or something, this would be a helpful tool to help make the decision to strive one way or the other. So I think that's where we're seeing a lot of advancement, and then you know having that information available when new agents come out because new agents and targeted agents come out all the time. So then you have that comprehensive genomic profiling information, and then you can, you know, see when new agents come out, does this present a new opportunity? And there's been a lot of new um, medicines available on the market. So that's awesome. There's a lot, yeah. of, growth there.
1: a lot, lot of growth and a lot of advancement that is helpful. I think in, in, in you're giving the care because we have a lot of advancement for new drugs. I mean, they're,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I feel like they're coming out left and right. Um, yeah. And and, and I, I would have said that five years ago that I thought that, and it's gotten even crazier since then. Yeah. So, so it'd be nice to know, like, not only what maybe works, but yeah. which patients can tolerate it and or not.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And and I think that precision medicine is really great for that, you know, and hopefully yeah. in the future, you know, in, in a lot of cases, not all, I think that's another area of advancement in the oncology space is we do have some examples of certain cancers where you're seeing these technologies being employed earlier on in the treatment, um, the treatment uh, stages, I guess I would call them. But, yeah. you know, for a lot of cancers, it's, um, you know, something that you do when you've exhausted all the standard of care, you look for fusions or something that you can target, yeah. you know, and so, you know, the hope would be that the science advances, you know, we're talking in general here, the science advances in general, so that people across the world can have these targeted therapies earlier that can help.
1: Yeah. And you would know which one to take. And Yeah you know, and or if you're going to take a second or third line, you may not tolerate it as well, but you kind of go right. in knowing that versus right. finding it out via a side effect and being like, yeah, oh, exactly." you told me it could happen. I wasn't, you know, it's a rare thing or I didn't think that that would be me. And now it is me. So right, it's great for, for patient care in general.
0: Yeah. So they had a test and that, that could say like, yeah, you're probably going to get that side effect. Okay. Let's <laughs> <laughs> do like, something okay. different
1: <laughs> do something different and or like knowledge is power going mm-hmm. in with it and walking away with you know probably a, another prescription on ways to minimize that, but knowing that up front versus it just happening and then being like, "Oh, now I gotta call somebody now we got to go through that process It'd be nice to know yeah. up front yeah it, it
0: would yeah. definitely it definitely would be nice to know it up front. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm proud of the work we're doing at the VA. I'm really proud of how innovative it it is. I guess I'll just mention that my husband, as you know, is a veteran, Um, you know, Marine Corps veteran. And so, um, you know, he is very excited about this program and, you know, the opportunities that provides, I have, um, you know, through my husband, several Marine Corps friends who are also veterans who also, um, you know, are very excited about this program. So, uh, you know, hearing, the population that I'm serving talk about the fact that they're happy that the VA makes this testing available to them is, is really inspiring that, you know, okay, I'm doing this and I'm, I'm helping better their care. You know, I think that's really great. So, you know, I think just sharing that, you know, my husband as a veteran himself.
1: That's right. Well, I remember like, you know, I had that moment of, of I should have recognized pharmacogenomics for you sooner. Um, but then when you went to the VA in pharmacogenomics, I was like, oh my gosh, it's like all of your worlds are <laughs> blending together perfectly. Was That's like, right. <laughs> I I totally get it. I was like, that makes complete sense. So I'm so yeah. happy you're you're doing so well and doing so many Thank great you. things. And um, I'm I'm excited about I think the investment I would call it that the VA has made in yes. pharmacogenomics. Yes. as well as pharmacy in general. I yes. think they've always been on the forefront of,
0: mm-hmm.
1: of ensuring pharmacists are providers and being there. Absolutely. So I, I look forward to hiring the rest of, of that crew of pharmacists and
0: seeing, yeah.
1: I think, all the outcomes and, and things that come from it.
0: Yeah, likewise. Thank you, Lindsay. It's really great to talk with you.
1: You too. We'll have to get together sometime. We're probably like in the same area (laughs) (laughs) for sure doing this virtually but yeah um, yeah well we'll have to get together sometime that you know doesn't require us to go to like a mid-year meeting meeting. or or somewhere else to actually actually see you in person
0: yeah I'd love that that sounds great
1: it was great to see you and hope you you have a great rest of the day
0: you too thank you
1: thank you for listening to the unscripted podcast if you love it please subscribe, rate, and review anywhere you listen to podcasts.